And that first element of curiosity as a practice is being curious about ourselves. And a lot of times what we see in the workplace is people say, oh, that person was respectful or disrespectful. We don't actually ask ourselves like, well, why do I feel that way? Why do I feel disrespected? You're listening to Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. Many of us grew up with the golden rule, do unto others as you would have to do unto you. It was a simple algorithm that was supposed to ensure we were good to one another. As we came to understand more about diversity and that not everyone necessarily wants to be treated the way I want to be treated, some of us learned the platinum rule, treat others the way they want to be treated. But author, speaker, and curiosity connoisseur, Dr. Julie Pham, offers still another option, what she calls the rubber band rule. She says neither of the other rules account for the dynamic nature of respect. She observes we flex and treat people differently, depending on the situation. We're all rubber bands, whether we know and like it or not. So respect, she says, matters, of course. But it's also relative. It's contradictory, subjective. It's actually kind of complicated, but not so complicated that we can't sort it out more effectively than we have so far if we're elastic in a purposeful way. So as founder and CEO of Curiosity Based, a Seattle-based organizational development firm, her first project was to write a book, The Seven Forms of Respect, and to offer up an approach to respect that is both structured and stretchy. It is, as I think she and I would both say, deeply rooted in curiosity. Dr. Pham is a Vietnamese-born, American-raised refugee who has lived in England, Germany, France, and Vietnam. She's familiar with communication mishaps, and she's learned to adapt to most environments because of the challenges she's faced as an immigrant, a woman, and a person of color working in America. I hope we can all learn from her experience, and I'm delighted to have her join me today to explore this intersection of curiosity and respect. So welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for having me on, Lynn. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me, me too. And I'm so glad you reached out. The moment I saw your work on respect, I knew we were up for a good conversation. And before I started reading, I thought to myself, well, what do I think are the forms of respect? Hmm. And then I was interested to see sort of where, you know, just off the top of my head kind of thoughts lined up with your more carefully researched and developed forms of respect. So talk about what those seven forms are that you've, that you articulate and how did you, how did you come to them. Yes. So we like to use the acronym PICA, P-P-I-C-C-A-A. Which is really helpful. I just have to tell you, I've yes. been using it all week. <laughs> and so it stands for procedure, punctuality, information, candor, consideration, acknowledgement, and attention. And so I just want to, I want to clear one possible misconception for your listeners right away. Seven forms of respect is not about getting all seven forms. It's more like five love languages, not like seven habits of highly effective people. Yes. And thank you for doing that because 
you do sort of go into it thinking, okay, I want to, I want to hit all of these. But your point is that we don't and we won't. Yeah, especially now, people just want answers and they want to know what do I do and not do. I don't want to mess up. I'm afraid of offending. Right. I'm afraid of doing something wrong. And so, oh, this is going to be the prescription for how I be respectful all the time. And I just tell people, actually, I know you know how to be respectful. It's more about we can all agree on what respect feels like. What we disagree is what does it look like? So when I first started doing this research, it was with focus groups and assessments. We were testing on assessment. We actually had six to begin with, and they were a bit different from what we have today. And uh-huh. so it was really people's reactions to them and interviews that we then got to the seven that we have now. Well, that feels like a very respectful process right there. I mean, if if you'd emerged with the same six that you went into it with, that wouldn't feel like you were listening as hard. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. it, it was just, hey, we have a hypothesis. Well, we expect it to be wrong though, because right. but this is just our first, our first guess. And it was so the experience of being surprised, like, oh, oh, this is what people are saying. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So describe them a little bit because they weren't to me instantly recognizable. Like I was thinking, well, where does this thing fall? Mm -hmm. And so then I really needed to read through them and understand them better. So describe them if you would. Yes. We name the the forms. We try to be as neutral as possible. Uh Uh-huh. So because there's a lot of baggage around certain words. Yep. Well, let me go through them. So the first one is procedure. That was actually the last one we named because we're like, oh, how do we describe this thing? And Procedure is procedure is about following the rules, following yeah. protocol. And in the yeah. workplace, it looks like, hey, I sent out prep work and I feel respected if you did the prep work. And it's about I want things done in a particular way, not not just about getting to the outcome. So someone who doesn't care about it, she's like, well, why does it matter if I did it your way? I got the work done. Yeah. So this one was an interesting one for me. I'll just I'll just yeah. you know tip my own hand on this because I thought about this and I thought. You know, if there are rules, it really matters to me that people pay attention Mm -hmm. to that. And yet, I'm actually not very hierarchical at all. Mm -hmm. And so there's this bifurcation in me. And I thought that was really interesting. And I thought this is is why you have to be curious about these things, right? And you have to understand that other people may have these mixed applications of a particular category here. And... Getting your hands around that is how you get to that respect, that trust, that that opportunity to get past the stuck places, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Lynn, you're kind of getting at when I talk about respect being dynamic and the reason why mm-hmm. are there these three mm-hmm. dimensions and the first one is hierarchy. Yeah. It's about power because the way we want to, the, our expectations around respect actually depend on the power dynamics of the relationship, whether we want to admit that or not. Right. Right. Um, And the second one is about the difference between give versus get. So the way we like to give respect can actually differ from the way we like to get respect. That's actually usually, there's a connection to that first dimension of hierarchy. Yeah. Punctuality, it's about honoring the time constraints, not about time itself, because that's, that's also quite relative. So it's just showing up on time, letting someone know if you can't saying, hey, this this meeting is going to end in five minutes. Just want to warn you that. And, and some people might go, why are you, you're rushing me. Right. So yes, that's punctuality. Then information. So this one was also a tricky one to name. 
information is about access to data, to knowledge. It's it's like an FYI for your information. And this one was tricky because people are like, well, isn't that transparency? And we intentionally didn't call it transparency because transparency is such a loaded word, right? It's like, if you don't have transparency, then that's bad. We're really trying to say, hey, it's not if you, you either prioritize it or you don't prioritize it. I mean, examples of this is like, are you going to CC people on emails when they don't need to be? Are you going to invite people to meetings when they don't need to be there? And for some people, it's like, no, don't, please. And others <laughs> right. like, no, I want all the information. I feel excluded if you don't. I mean, my my margins on this book are full of these like, aha, right. I'm revisiting all sorts of exchanges over, you know, 40 years in the workplace mm-hmm. thinking, oh, now I understand. I mean, what I appreciated about this was you gave me some language, mm-hmm. you gave me a framework for thinking about this, and you gave me some permission to feel something was maybe disrespectful, to allow myself to be, as you put, frustrated, annoyed, and angry, and then get curious. Mm-hmm. It is a tool for going forward to be curious in those places where, huh, I tripped on something. That's a cue to bring curiosity to the conversation, right? Yes. Rather than just kind of rushing past it. Yeah. Because sometimes what happens is like, oh, they didn't mean it. Oh, it's not a big deal. And so we don't acknowledge our own feelings and our own frustrations. And so Lynn, earlier you brought up the rubber band rule. And so there's another aspect of the rubber band rule, which is we can flex. We're capable of flexing. The thing is though, if we are stretched too much, if we are doing something that really doesn't matter to us, then what will happen over time is we will snap and break like a rubber band. Yeah. Yep. And so that is about knowing what are my internal breaking points? What's going to make me snap? And that's different for everyone. And that's that part of, I think of curiosity as, as a practice. And that first element of, of curiosity as a practice is being curious about ourselves. And a lot of times what we see in the workplace is people say, oh, that person was respectful or disrespectful. And it puts so much responsibility on that other person and not on ourselves. We don't actually ask ourselves like, well, why do I feel that way? Why do I feel disrespected? What do I want? What do I want? And have I ever expressed it? Right. And and have I inadvertently been disrespectful kind of unknowingly because I just haven't been curious about what I was, how I was actually coming across? Like mm-hmm. I thought I was doing the right thing, but maybe not. So I didn't include this in the book because I came up with this afterwards. But when I was when I was uh, going around talking about the book, I differentiate between disrespect and lack of respect. Mm-hmm. And disrespect is intentional. So Lynn, I know right. that that matters to you and I did it anyway, right? <laughs> like I right. did that thing, <laughs> you know, like I know you care about that and yet I did the opposite anyway, right? That's intentional. It's like disinformation. And then lack of respect is, oh, well, I didn't know what mattered to you. Yeah. So I'm not giving you the respect in the the forms that matter to you, but that's because I didn't know. And maybe, Lynn, maybe you misled me and you said it wasn't a big deal. Right. Because how often have we done that? Uh, probably all the time. Yeah. Oh, it's not a big deal that you were late. It's not a big deal that you didn't include me. And yet inside, it was just like, I'm so... I'm feeling so disrespected. And so then the point is just to pause and go, okay, are you being disrespected or are you not getting respect in the forms that matter to you? And why is that? And this, so this is getting curious about ourselves. 
asking ourselves some questions rather than just being like, they were disrespectful. It's like, why do I feel disrespected? You're listening to Choose to be Curious, conversations about curiosity in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and I'm joined today by Dr. Julie Pham. We're talking about curiosity and the forms of respect. Candor is about asking deep probing questions about giving solicited and unsolicited advice um, and feedback. A lot of people ask me, what's the difference between information and candor? And candor is, it's information with a purpose, whereas Mm-hmm. information is just FYI. You do what it, whatever you want to do with it. But candor is actually, I want you to do something with this. I want things to change. I want things to improve, whatever that is. I'm, I'm telling you this for a reason, not just for your own knowledge. So that it's information about you as opposed to information kind of around and about. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Remember I said that sometimes what we want to give can be different from what we want to get. And so, and if we try to just mirror other people, so think about that person who gives you unsolicited constructive feedback and tells you how to do your job better. And yet when you do that to them, they don't like it. Right. So it doesn't, mirroring doesn't always work because of the contradictory nature of of respect. So what we found is people often want candor from those who have more power than them, like their managers, their their leaders, but not necessarily from those who have less power. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> What makes that you think familiar. that you can tell me that? <laughs> what gives you the authority and yet we expect it from? Where do you get off? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the next one is consideration. And consideration is actually the most complicated of the seven. Yeah. And so we define it in a very particular way, which is you are interacting with someone based on what you think that they want and need. And this is the part where, you know, when you surprise someone, you're not saying like, what would you like? Because then that would ruin the surprise, right? <laughs> it's like right, you're right. trying to show, I know you, and I'm going to do something that I think will delight you. And the thing about consideration is typically if people get what they want, then they feel like respected. But if they, if, but if the person tried and it didn't land, then they might feel like, oh, I didn't like that. Yeah, right, right. Sort of high risk, high reward, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And the thing about it, though, is consideration for those who truly care about consideration. It's the thought that counts. You've heard that. It's the thought that counts. It's not about getting it right. Yeah. And then there's attention. Yes. So this one is about deep listening. It's about not multitasking. It's about not interrupting. And this one is the one where I think during the pandemic that has changed it the most. And so interesting. (laughs) Because now, I mean... Now it's so easy to just multitask. I actually heard someone tell me the other day that they they saw that their that their therapist on an online call was they could see that they were looking at other things. <laughs> this is their therapist, right? Okay. And so <laughs> judgment here that just feels disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> there are things that people would never do in person that they feel is okay to do virtually. Here's the thing. Some places actually think of multitasking as a sign of performance. So I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. I remember the first big tech company I worked at. Oh my gosh, attention was not prioritized. Interesting. And so I think it's about getting clear about like why do we prioritize it? Why don't we prioritize it? Not about trying to get all seven. It's actually, it's, I think it's actually perfectionist thinking when we try to do all seven and sometimes they can actually contradict yeah. And then the last one is acknowledgement. Yes. So this one is gratitude, 
This is one is praise. This one can also just be, hey, you sent me something and I'm acknowledging that I got it, even though it's, I don't need to, right? It's just like, I just want you to know I received it. This one gets at, I mean, for me, this is one of my, one of my forms of respect. And it was, Lynn, it was actually one that was difficult for me to admit to. And so, you know, I, oh, I mentioned, yeah. And you remember I mentioned the, the three dimensions of respect. And so the first being hierarchy, the second being give versus get. And the third one is called what matters to you. And this one actually requires quite a bit of self-awareness. And so for me to admit that acknowledgement matters to me felt cringy. I, it took me a while to admit that because I was just like, oh, what? I want gratitude and praise. And yet inside I would feel like, yes, I want it, but I don't want to admit it. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, and yet think about that rubber band, right? It's just like, here right. I am saying it's not a big deal, and yet it's a big deal. And I'm going to snap right. and break. Right. If I, so that's if I an interesting it. one. Mm-hmm. I thought a lot about that one, maybe because you talk about your own preference there in the book, or maybe it was in some of your other materials on your website, which is a treasure trove, by the way. And I thought about this one for myself, and I thought, I I like to think of myself as giving a lot of acknowledgement, but I don't like getting it because too often it feels sort of disingenuous, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it leaves me feeling less secure Mm -hmm. about what people actually think. And so it makes me feel kind of twitchy. Again, it was really helpful to have the language to kind of go, oh, that's what's going on there. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm reacting to. In contrast to the fact that I feel really strongly about recognizing when people have done really good work and, you know, all that sort of stuff is like, yeah, but I'm happy to do that for you. Just don't do that to me. Yes. Right. And that gets to that, (laughs) that contradictory nature of it. Because I mean, I've heard from a lot of people, no, it does feel superficial. Not everything is awesome. Not right. everything is awesome. And you don't have to tell me I'm awesome all the time. Right. You've lived and worked and experienced a lot of cultures. This clearly has some cultural context as well. Can you speak to that? Yes. So definitely having lived in Germany, France, England, and Vietnam, and even even Seattle and Berkeley, right? those are two mm-hmm. different cultures too, <laughs> right? How we want to be treated, how we treat people, there are just different expectations around that. And at the same time, I want to be really, really careful about not trying to say any culture is monolithic and that, oh, if it's this and then that. So let let me share two statements and I want you to hear the difference. I am Asian, thus I defer to my elders. Mm -hmm. And then the next one is I defer to my elders and I think that's in part because of my Asian upbringing. Yeah. You hear the difference? I do. I do. One of them makes it a kind of absolute, and Mm -hmm. the other one is a reflection of possible attribution. Mm -hmm. So when I say that seven forms of respect is a tool to spark curiosity, and that first part is to spark curiosity within ourselves, right? Because for a lot of times, it's like, why do I care about what I care about? And so Parts of that will be cultural and and it might be a reaction to the culture that we don't like, right? Right. And so, or it might be modeling it. And and it's also about helping people articulate for themselves what is important. I've gotten the question of, well, what do, how, how do women experience respect in the workplace? And how does this group experience respect in the workplace? And I, I mean, that's, I just haven't done that kind of research. And quite honestly, I'm not as interested in that because the seven forms of respect is about giving people a tool to help them figure out what that. Is. Tell your own story, right? 
and and also acknowledge that that story, what you care about, can change, and even yeah. like change not just from from workplace to workplace. It might even change on my mood today, and so to be able to name that for myself is important. Yes, and oftentimes what I've seen is, I mean, we often never ask ourselves, "Huh, why do I care about this? Where did that come from?" And mm-hmm. and when I take people through this guided conversation. It's just in that conversation, they're just, oh, well, this person, my partner shared this and it made me think about this. And I hadn't <laughs> thought about that before. And sometimes, I mean, what usually happens is we're just like, well, what do you care about? What does respect mean to you? And, they, and they'll say it. And then, and I'll ask, well, why? And it's like, and they'll just repeat themselves. Well, because it's respectful. Well, why? Uh-huh. Because it's respectful. Uh-huh. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> right? Or like- You have to do those five whys. Yes, right? exactly. Like what, what, what do you think influenced it. that? Where do you think that came from? And then, yeah. oh, it did come from somewhere, which means- because I like to ask people who in your life and what experiences have influenced how you think about respect. I bet those are interesting conversations. Yes. And so often people are, wow, family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. family, teachers, coaches. And then what I remind people is, you know, if you are being influenced, that means that you're influencing people. Yeah. yeah. You just doing whatever you do, you are actually teaching other people about respect too. Sometimes we have this internal monologue. Oh, I did that. Did they see that I did that? Yeah. Oh, I feel horrible. Should I say right. something? Well, what? And then, or even the hesitation to ask a question. It's like, well, how are they going to think about that question? So I'm going to, and so we have this whole, this internal monologue of how that conversation will play out, but we don't actually ask. We don't say it out loud. So what's the curiosity practice that you recommend that we use when we find ourselves in that place? Slow down. Yeah. Just slow down. I think that in our fast-paced world, we we feel this pressure to answer right away. Uh-huh. And we then expect other people, why didn't they know? <laughs> why didn't they why weren't they able to respond? Because it's just sometimes we just need to slow down and yeah. say, like, I have to think about that. I think I actually liken curiosity, the practice of curiosity to, to meditation. You know, I heard you talk about that somewhere that way, and I think it's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. It looks really easy, but it's hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it takes practice. Yes. It, it takes, takes practice. practice. I mean, Lynn, I will tell you, I just, uh, a few weeks ago, I was not feeling curious about what a client request. <laughs> and my first reaction was just, What? I can't believe they're asking me this. And uh-huh. and then I'm thinking about all the different ways to respond. And then I, I'm i trying to think of how to do this in a way that's that, that's going to be authentic and organic to me and not performative. And I'm just, I'm making up all these things that they're thinking, right? And so then I got on the phone with a friend and I was just, I'm feeling all these things. <laughs> Can I just talk to you about this? And I just don't know what to do with this client. And she said, well, Julie, why don't you just ask them right. what they mean. I'm like, oh my gosh, you were telling me what I would normally advise to someone else, but I can't do that because I'm so annoyed right now. <laughs> and it's just like, and all of the other thoughts are crowding in. And so this is just, it's a reminder of, yeah, we can't practice curiosity all the time if our, and, and like, and our emotions will flood. So right. I think it's just like allowing that and and then and and talking it through with someone else because that's where so another curiosity practice is to talk through it 
talk it through with someone else and do it in a way that is not just venting. Right. Right. Like, can you believe, you know, like I want validation right now. Cause what I was asking my friend was, can you help me see another way of seeing this? Because I am so upset. Uh huh. Well, you were asking her to help you slow it down, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to spinning it up. And actually Uh inviting them to give me another perspective, not just, oh, I need you to validate me. Yeah. Interesting. So we just talked about curiosity as kind of an analogous to meditation. I want to invite you to do another analogy with me <laughs> for this. <laughs> I know it's coming up. You do. I have my big jar of wannabe analogies here. I've got random slips of paper in here. I'm going to take out three, one for you, one for me, and one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips. So yours is clean sheets. <laughs> oh, is curiosity like oh, clean gosh. sheets? <laughs> Mine is a metronome, and um, I have one. <laughs> I have one for the audience. So uh, do you want to go, or you want me to give it a go first? Uh, no, I think I'll. I, I, I'm, something's coming to mind, so I'm just going to verbalize okay. this. And we'll see. Okay. Um, so I think when I think about clean sheets, they can be folded in many different ways. Oh, yeah. And they can be they they're clean but they can be crinkly, they can be folded, they can be flat. And there are many different ways to um to they're malleable. Uh-huh. And uh and so I think that with curiosity it's it's the the sheets are the base of curiosity and what we do with it is what can change. Oh, nice. Now, see, I'm going to feel better about making my bed. <laughs> Thank you to that. That, that was, was really hard, Lynn. <laughs> uh, you did a great job with it. And everybody's going to feel better about making their beds from here on forward. <laughs> you just made this wonderful contribution to the universe. So mine is metronome. Um, hmm. So for the very short period of time when I took piano lessons as a kid, I hated the metronome because it sort of forced me you know, to kind of keep going. It was a source of tremendous anxiety. And I think of that as actually not like curiosity, but but I will, but where I see an analogy is that it is sort of a force that will propel things forward, maybe sometimes against their mm. will. <laughs> so that's what I'll say. Curiosity is like a metronome. And um, audience, yours is elevator. <laughs> How is curiosity like an elevator? Let us know. Social media hashtag analogy. Well, Julie, wow, thank you so much for this. And I told you when we were corresponding that I had been referring to your work multiple times even before I reached out to you. So I knew that we need to have this conversation. Thank you for that. Lynn, thank you so much. As a fan of your show, I'm so honored that I got to join you in this conversation. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious, conversations about curiosity and work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Thanks for joining us today. You can find this and all my previous episodes on my website, choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on social media at Choose to be Curious, where you can share your elevator analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Julie Pham. Links to Curiosity Based and the Seven Forms of Respect on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Zigzag Heart by Nursery via Blue Dot Sessions. I don't have the rights, so I can't play it here. 
But I've been hearing Aretha Franklin in my head. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. What does respect mean to you? And how might you learn more about what it means to others? I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious.